morning. Good to see you here this morning. Glad you've come. We, we're looking in this message series, we've been looking at how God made us as men and women. John Gray, we, first week I talked about John Gray's little parable of men being from Mars and women being from Venus and uh, the two of them getting together and enjoying each other's differences and then flying to Earth and the Earth's atmosphere causing them to forget the differences. And so we, we in our culture, tend to suffer from mass amnesia about our differences because we're trying to squash each other into the mold. But anyway, when, when Mars and Venus get together, the worlds can collide. Uh, there's there's good a good chance that there's going to be conflict, and in the midst of the con- conflict and in the midst of the collision, it's common to get blurred vision over what's going on. It's very easy to get disoriented and lose your focus on what's really important. And so today we're going to look at some passages that that help us get to the core of some things that that should really be beneficial for us in unwinding conflict as we deal with it. Depth of field in photography, it's a photography term that describes the distance between the closest and farthest objects in the picture that remain in focus. And so, today, I want to look at some truth from the Bible that will help bring our conflict into focus. What's going on underneath the surface, what's at the core of it, and help us begin to unwind it. That's what Scripture does. Really, in, in all areas of life, it helps us to increase our depth of field so that we can keep things in focus that God really wants us to keep in focus that turn out to be a real blessing to us as, as we live our lives. So that's what we're aiming to do uh, this, this morning because... If we can see to the core of what's going on, then we can deal with conflict in a constructive way. It, it'll really help us as we cooperate with God in the midst of it. Because God is doing some things that are surprising in the middle of our conflict. He is, he is surfacing some of the things that we need to work on. He is trying to show us some, some ways that we need to change. And really, in our heart of hearts, he's helping us to identify what we need to do to turn outward toward others. And then in the conflict, he's also wanting us to gain some understanding about the other person involved. He, he wants us to get our eyes and our focus off of ourselves to begin to look at the others around us. And in his power and with his help, to really love them the way that he wants us to. So God shows us some things uh, in the conflict, and he even hopes that the conflict keeps bringing us back to him, to rely on him. In, in, in the first place, there's this frustration that's built into the core of life. And we looked at, as we talked about the men, we looked at uh, and the women, well, I think it was last week, when we were talking about the women, we looked at the frustrations that God has wired in because of our sin. Um, first man and woman, Adam and Eve, they, they decided to go their own way and take life into their own hands and live life independently of God. 
bust through his boundaries that he set up and take the forbidden fruit because they thought, this way I can be wise without him. I can get what I need in life without God. And so they, they busted through the boundaries and they took that forbidden fruit. And that's what they were saying. Well, as a result of that, God built some frustrations in to life that he hopes will bring us back to him. We get frustrated with life on our own, living life without him, independent of him, and be drawn back into a relationship with him. So that's part of what's going on in the conflict. Is he, he's, he's wired in these consequences so that, so that we can come back to him. And in the middle of it, there's a real opportunity, and we're going to look at that in a, a little bit. So, first of all, we're going to start with the real source of conflict. The Bible, as I said, increases our depth of uh, field of depth, depth of field, I mean. And um, so we're going to dig into James 4 that will really help with that. The real source of conflict. Anger and conflict, they get started by a blocked goal. That, that's the first thing. There's something we want, and this person is, is keeping us from it. They either hold the key to the goal, the desire, or they, they are blocking it and somehow. Somehow they're not giving us what we want or we're not getting what we want out of it. James 4.1 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. This is, this is where the conflict comes from. When we don't get what we want, we quarrel. We throw a fit. We explode. We quarrel with whomever we think should be giving it to us. We even do this with God. If our life isn't going the way we want, we, we quarrel with him. Proverbs says uh, a fool and his choices ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Many times it's our own choices that are frustrating us, but we're mad at God because we're not getting what we want and we feel we deserve it. That's, that's just the way we're wired. The potential in marriage. This is true of most relationships. You know, you have a boss, you have a coworker, you have neighbors. And if they're not doing what you think they should do or giving you what you want from them, then you get angry and there's conflict. But particularly in marriage, there is high potential for conflict. Because in marriage, we think we have the best chance for happiness. We see our spouse as the best opportunity to meet our deepest needs. This is, this is it. This is, the conflict gets ugliest in marriage because our spouse seems to be the best chance we'll ever have at getting what we want in a relationship. This makes marriage something that needs a one of those diamond warning signs that you see on trucks. Highly flammable. <laughs> this thing could blow at any moment. Because we're we're in, we have there's an intensity to this relationship that isn't there in other relationships. And it, it it's that intensity makes it very dangerous. But a blocked goal is um the source, the beginning of the source of conflict. What keeps it going is self-reliance. It's one of the things that keeps, keeps the conflict rolling. It says in verse 2, the last half of verse 2, You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. 
you do not have because you do not ask God. Our tendency, again, remember the first man and woman? Our tendency is to try to get what we need without God's help. And that's what happens in conflict. We get in, we, you know, we're not getting what we want. They're not saying, they're not giving us the admiration we crave. They're not cherishing us or treasuring us like we'd like for them to. And we decide we're going to extract it from them. They're not going to give it to us. I'm just going to be a dentist. Take the plier. Take what I need out of them. That's painful for everybody involved is what happens. When our, when our goals are blocked, we have a choice. Will I trust God to give me what I need? Or will I take matters into my own hands and try to get it for myself? That's, that keeps conflict rolling. It's a source of conflict and it keeps it going on. That, that internal battle that the first couple was, was embroiled in <clears throat> was this very thing. They wanted the one thing that God said they couldn't have because they didn't trust Him. They, they thought there was more to life that they were missing. And so they took the forbidden fruit and went on their own. Whenever you do that, you're, you've just stepped out from under the grace of God. When you rely on yourself, He leaves you hanging out there because you've chosen that. One thing about God is he will not force you to cooperate with him. He will never do that. He's a gentleman. He, he has wired some things into life, hoping that we'll learn to cooperate with him. But he will never force you and I to bow our knee to him. It's the way he's made us. That, that allows us to have a real relationship with him. He, he knew the, the consequences of that, building that into us, this will that can choose whether or not we do life his way. He knew that was a dangerous thing, but he didn't want it any other way because he, he wants a real relationship with us, not some robotic kind of relationship. But that's why the first couple took the forbidden fruit. They didn't trust God. They thought there was more. And that's what we do. We get into a conflict and... Rather than trusting God, we try to get what we need from the other person. If you trust God, then here, here's the line of thinking. You know you already have everything he thinks you need. Does that make sense? If you trust God, if you needed it, you would have it. And if you need it in the future, he will give it to you. Actually, there's a promise. Philippians 4.19, you'll have every, God is going to meet every need of yours in Jesus Christ. He will. Every present need and every future need is going to be met in him. You can trust him. But that, we get into a conflict, the collision occurs, things are, we're out of focus, and we don't trust God. We want something we think that someone else holds the key to, and the fight is on. The battle starts raging. That's why this is all of this is one of the reasons why church is so helpful. Because you don't hear these things anywhere else. <laughs> and if if you try to do marriage without God, it 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 can it, it just is a very difficult thing. You you need someone 
to rely on who's going to meet your needs when your husband or wife is not paying attention to your needs. And they're not, they're not doing what you think they should do. And the real struggle is with God. Underneath all the conflict, the real source of the conflict is this lack of faith in God that he is going to meet your needs. So you go after the other person to have them show the respect that they should or to force them to hold you in the highest esteem the way they should. And boy, when, when, you, when you get it that way, yeah, it's really not that great. If, if The truth is, if we ignore God, the marriage suffers. And this is true for any relationship. If you ignore God, I mean, it's the way if we, in life in general, if you ignore God, your life suffers. Because there are some things that only He can do in your heart and life that no one else, no other thing can do. And we need to keep going to Him to meet our deepest needs. So self-reliance is another problem. The third source of conflict are selfish motives. Verse 3 says, When you ask God, if you do happen to ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. One of our problems, one of our real problems as human beings is that we think the point of life is our pleasure and happiness. Adam and Eve made that, that decision. They, they made life about themselves, and we followed along with them. But God is the center of life, and he wants to be the center of life. Scripture says he's a jealous God. That used to not make much sense to me. And it's not jealousy in a sinful way, but it's, he, he yearns for you and I to put him in the rightful place as Lord and Master. Now, why is that? Does he have a huge ego that he, he wants to, to feed by having the people he has made worship him? No. It's because it's right. When something is made, it's only right that the thing that is made bring glory to the maker. And, and we were made to do this. We were made to honor God and give him glory and worship him. So as we sing songs, our hearts are drawn to worship him because it's right. It is the right thing to do as a made thing, <laughs> as a made person. It's right to honor him. It's not about God's ego. It's about what's right. And as we do what's right, how we are blessed and flourish in the midst of choosing to do the right thing. Why do planets orbit around the sun? It's not because the sun has an ego. That'd be ridiculous. The sun is a thing. It's because the planets have a smaller mass than the sun and it, it pulls them into orbit around it. That's, the, that's just the way it is. And, and that's how it is with God. We were created to orbit around him. He, he is to be the center of our lives. 
Adam and Eve left that orbit, and, and we followed. Every one of us have followed along. We've left the orbit around God. What we tend to do is we think marriage is our best shot at getting someone to revolve their life around ours. And so, whoop, the worlds collide. Because that planet is not going to revolve around your planet. It's just not going to happen. This is a huge mistake when we think this. We have selfish motives. We choose to to try to pull people into our orbit. What, what happens when two people try to act like a star in a marriage? Collision. But even in the midst of the collision, the conflict, the struggles that are going on, there is a real opportunity. Because, boy, the emotions run high. The anger ramps up. And, and there is real opportunity there. When our goals clash, we have a choice. We can either turn to God and handle things his way or fight, get in the battle. Anger in Scripture is, is not, it's not looked upon as a negative thing. It's looked upon as a neutral thing. It's what you do with the anger that matters. There's a verse that says, be angry but do not sin. So you can be angry and not sin. What, what anger is designed to do, as the one who made us, designed us, what, what you find out in Scripture is, it's designed to be a, a, like a warning light on the dashboard. You know it says, oil pressure low, the little red oil can on your light? You need to stop. Don't drive any farther, because if you keep driving, the engine will ruin. I've done it. Okay, in my younger days, you know, it's like, oh, if I keep going, maybe it'll just go away. It it doesn't. Then you have to overhaul the whole thing. If you do that in a relationship, you you just give full vent to the anger, just you keep going, you let it fly. That ruins relationships. What, What anger is intended to be is a warning light that shows us, wow, I've got to, I've got to stop. And I've got to process what's going on here, and I need to go to God for help. I need him to help me work through this, to do things his way. I, I can't do it without him. I, I need his help, and, and you do too. If, if you let it fly and you give full vent, survey the damage done and ask God to help you. If you've blown it, ask him to help you change the way you approach life and handle things. If you get defensive in the middle of anger, we're going to look at a passage that's very helpful on this stuff real quick here. But if you get defensive, which is in the middle of a conflict, easy to do. Start defending your position, defending your person, defending yourself. Then you become the focus, and it's not about you. Life isn't about you. The Marriage isn't about you. The person isn't supposed to orbit around you. If you get defensive, you just missed an opportunity to really grow through this. Because God's trying to surface through the conflict some things that you need to work on. Maybe some attitudes, some wrong ways of thinking, some perspective that needs to shift. We're always supposed to be changing the way we look at life based on the Word of God. And so what happens with me as I struggle in relationships and as I deal with life, 
I go back to the Scripture, spend a little time every morning getting into it. God speaks to me, and he, he, he shifts my thinking. He, he corrects my heart, and he straightens me out, and he begins to help me get on the right path. That's what the Word of God does. And in conflict, God wants the conflict itself and the pain and the struggle and the frustration and the pressure to drive us back to him so that we trust him. But here's some very practical help in James for dealing with it. James 1, 19 through 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Survey the damage done by your anger. If you've blown it, if you've let it fly, look at, replay the scene. Check out the faces on, that you were, were blowing up at. Look at their faces, the pain. If, if it was your husband or wife or your kids or a coworker or a real close friend or whoever it was, survey the damage done. That, that outburst does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. The righteous life that God desires, if we live it, the picture in Scripture is it's like you're, you're a tree planted by the river that flourishes. It bears its fruit in the season. And it's, your, your life is blessed as you set your heart to do it God's way. So that's the deal. Anger, though, makes you defensive. And it ruins the opportunity that God wants to take to teach you about yourself. Or the opportunity that you have in the middle of a conflict to understand more about the other person you're having the conflict with. We really need his help to shift gears. When, when anger wells up, this is what James is saying, God through James, start listening. Really trying to understand what the other person is saying. And then stop talking. If you are talking, stop talking. And choose your words carefully, whatever they are, whatever they're going to be. Choose them carefully. A lot of things that come to mind that shouldn't be said. If you do those two things, you you put yourself in a place where you can learn about yourself and you can gain understanding of, of others as well. In a marriage of your spouse, in any relationship, that's true. So let's shift gears now. We've looked at source of conflict, the opportunity in it. How do you make things right and good? How do you live in a way and relate in a way that, that makes it good and right? First of all, set your heart on the right goal. It's a blocked goal that, that brings up the anger and the conflict, causes the problems. Well, choose the right goals in life. Romans 14, 19 says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. If, if you aren't getting what you want, then ask yourself a couple questions. First of all, is it a right goal? Is it the right desire? Is it, is it legitimate? Is it something that's all that important? If it's a selfish goal, drop it. Let it go. It's not worth it. If it really is a good goal, then try to figure out another path to reach it. If you've been relying on yourself, stop and turn to God 
and, and let him give you what you need. He, he's the only one that can meet your deepest need. Ephesians 4.29 says basically the same thing. We're to use our words to build others up. That's the right goal. The right goal is to build up the other person. And in building others up, we grow stronger. And what's interesting is, in a marriage particularly, you're attached to this person. And if they do well, you do well. If they do poorly, you do poorly. Like it or not, there is more to marriage than meets the eye. Because you get attached. You become one flesh. There's a spiritual aspect to it that we tend to ignore in our society. And if you can help the other person do well, you are blessed by that. Especially in a marriage. It's, it's, it's especially so. Um, it's true in all relationships as well that if you build others up, you grow stronger. And God sees to it as you turn your heart inside out to focus on others. He sees to it that your needs are met in the process. But this is the way it works. Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. So if, if you want refreshment, be refreshing. That's what scripture says. Proverbs 11.25. What do we do when we want refreshment? We drain everybody else. That's our natural tendency. Boy, I need, I need a break. I need some encouragement. You know, <laughs> we just start draining everybody else. If you want to be loved, love. Other-centered living brings out the best in a man or a woman. The moment you start trying to extract what you need from another person, it turns into a mirage and it disappears. And if you get something out of them, it's sour. It's not sweet. And so the way life works is this. We, we have legitimate desires. Boy, we, we want to feel good about life. We want to be happy. That's every one of us here wants to be happy. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But the way we go about it is important to understand. And Scripture says, God says, trust me, do life my way, and I will pour the happiness into your heart. I will, I will give you what you really need. I will meet your deepest needs. The core of any good relationship is two people trying to give the other person what they need. Larry Crabb, uh, in a book, you may want to read this book, it's a pretty good book, called Men and Women Enjoying the Difference, rather than being screwed into the ground by the difference. <laughs> Enjoying the Difference, really good book, it creates a lot of understanding. Um, but he says, many marriages are like two ticks with no dog. Just trying to get their nourishment from each other. Trying to suck the lifeblood out of the other person. But marriage is a commitment to love. Sacrificially. When, when, if you're married and you, when you took your wedding vow, you committed to love through all of life. The ups and downs, the good and the bad. Men, 
more than anything, your wife wants to be loved. And, and you need to focus on connecting with your wife and meeting her needs and cherishing her, valuing her. Women, a man really wants your respect. His top concern is achievement or accomplishment, so respect is very important to him. And the fastest way to end an argument is to start focusing on what the other person needs in the midst of it. It's the best thing to do. Now, you need God's help to do that. I'm I'm personally too selfish to do that. I get in the battle and I want to win it. I can't even remember sometimes what it was about. But it really is not about what it was about. (laughs) It's about this stuff. It's about needing to trust God to meet my deepest needs and needing to refocus my heart and life on Him and centering it around the way he thinks life should work. As I do that, boy, life gets good. Life gets really good. And I, I enjoy things rather than get frustrated by what's going on. second thing to do is trust God as you pursue peace. Um, after a fight, you know, the fight breaks out. It's very easy to kick into make them pay mode. Romans 12 says, don't do that. Do not repay evil for evil. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, now it may not be possible, but if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everything, everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. After a fight... Ask God to help you set your heart on making the necessary repairs. What we want to do is make them pay for the pain they've caused and for not giving us what we want. Remember, though, not to rely on yourself. Self-reliance leads to more fighting. But if you come back to God, He can help you unwind this, this conflict as you face it. Here's the kicker. I have to take responsibility to live at peace with everyone. If you've decided to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, this is your call in life. This is what he's asked you to do. If something is wrong in a relationship, I need to take the steps to repair it. Ask forgiveness, give forgiveness, listen and try to understand. And... Peace may not be possible all the times, but you you need to be working toward that wisely. Who's going to meet my needs in the middle of that? We trust God to do it. 1 Peter 2.23 is a verse I keep going back to. When I want to get defensive, when I want to defend myself, when I want to dive in and get my own needs met, I go back to this and I think of Jesus. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You trust God to do right by you as you set yourself to make things right with others, and especially if you're married with your spouse. Third, take the right approach in relationships, and you're going to have to ask God for help with this every day. The picture you get in Scripture is when you come to Christ, uh, you 
You put off the old life and you get a new life. So he makes you new, you're a new creation, and he gives you what you need inside to live in a way that pleases him. But you've got to keep choosing that every day, in every situation, moment by moment. We either, the scripture says, you live in the flesh, your old ways, your own strength, self-reliance, or you live in the spirit, relying on God and his strength and his help. And the picture you get is a change of clothes. You put off the old clothes and you put on the new clothes. And in Colossians 3, it shows us some of the new clothes. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, having a heart to look at life from the angle of the other person you're dealing with or relating to. Kindness, helping them with their goals, other-centered, focusing out on them. Humility, deferring to them. Gentleness, it means you're a strong person, but you keep it under control to, do, to use your strength to do the right thing. And patience, you're long-suffering, you hang in there. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. And here it is, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That, that's that's the, the source of our ability to keep loving others after they hurt us and after they disappoint us and they don't meet our needs the way that we want them to. We forgive because we have been forgiven by God. If we only could understand this, we would be able to, to, to draw the strength to forgive. But speaking of depth, depth of field, um, we, we really discount, we tend to discount our own sin and wrong, and we blow out of proportion the others' sin and wrong. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, you look at the, the speck, in the eye of the other person, and you've got a huge two-by-four protruding from yours, and you can't even see it. That's, that depth of field is off. <laughs> and that's what we do. But, but what, what this passage and others in the New Testament are saying, and what Jesus was trying to say in a story he told, is you forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. He has forgiven you much if you really understood how much he has forgiven you and how unholy you and I are in comparison to the holy God. You you would cut people slack. You, you would not you would not demand that they be right toward you all the time. You would forgive. You would let them go. So his love and grace and patience, God's, is the source that we draw from to forgive. My next step today, let's look at those. You may have some next steps that you want to take, but here are some suggestions, either in your listening guide on the connection card. You could let us know uh, what they are. Read James 1, 19 through 20 every day this week. That verse has been very helpful to me in terms of remembering to slow down. Don't just give full vent to your anger, but just slow down, listen, be slow to angry, anger, and... Slow to speak. That really is helpful. So you may want to read it every day this week and memorize it. Also, uh, maybe as I've talked, or maybe you want to spend some time before God and ask him to show you a selfish goal. 
that you've had in a relationship and give that to him. Lay it, lay it before God. Give it up to him. And then you may want to just ask God to help you change your approach. There may be a piece of that clothing that you need to put on. Compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, humility. There may be some of that that you need to put on, but ask God to help you with that. And if you have never committed your life to follow Christ as boss, you may, you may want to do that. You may want some information about beginning a relationship with him. On the connection card on the back, there's a place to let us know you'd like to begin a relationship with him. He gives you the love you need. He gives you everything you need to, to draw from as you learn to walk with him and cooperate with him. That, and it makes relationships good as you rely on him, not yourself. Maybe some of the frustrations in your own relationships are drawing you back to him to commit yourself to follow him. Let us know, and we'd love to help you make that decision. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we come before you and thank you for your kindness and your goodness and your grace. I personally thank you for the forgiveness that I can soak up whenever I come to you and admit my sin. I know that you're there to forgive and to cut me slack. So, Father, help us all as we work out our relationships, as we deal with conflict in them. Help us, Father, to, to please you and not set out to please ourselves, but to allow our life really to revolve around you and your ways and find the blessing and the goodness in it, Lord. Help us to, to trust you and to walk by faith. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.